You're listening to the Unlocking Business Growth Podcast with Nola Heal. Nola has over 30 years of experience in financial and operations management for companies around the world. As a part-time CFO, she's dedicated to working with businesses of all sizes to create sustainable growth and amplify strategy. Today, I'm really excited to welcome Jason Cardiff. Jason Cardiff is the CEO and lead designer of Clean O2. He has 20 years experience in the heating industry and 15 years experience in developing the microscale carbon capture industry. Jason and his team have been working towards the reduction and conversion of carbon emissions from commercial heating industry while helping create a sustainable future with his company's branded products. Welcome, Jason. Thank you for joining us today. To get us started, I wonder if you could give us a little bit of background beyond the bio. What got you started solving carbon emissions and making them useful? Sure, and thanks for for having me. Uh, I started on this journey back in 2005. Uh, My career is as a plumber and gas fitter. I spent a lot of my times in my a lot of time in my career working on commercial heating appliances, and there was a news article that came up uh, was uh, regards to I think the Obama administration was talking about uh, how they were government was going to get involved with supporting uh, early stage companies to help further reduce carbon emissions but that the article seemed to be focused largely on energy production and transportation Um, given that I worked predominantly around natural gas fired heating appliances I took uh, an interest in that discussion just because it was going to affect my career as a as a plumber and a gas fitter. So uh, I started asking uh, a lot of manufacturers about what their next steps were in terms of addressing the carbon emissions that we were producing, and they didn't really seem to have a clear answer. So I took it upon myself to to see if I could somehow create a solution that would have a meaningful impact on reducing these emissions. And, you know, frankly, I learned fairly quickly that there was a lot of things that were beyond my skill set. So part of my goal wasn't just to create a device. It was to find people that were far smarter than I am uh, to help overcome some of these technical issues that obviously needed to be sorted out. So, uh, so it's, you know, it's been 15 years, but it's been 15 years of team building and it's been 15 years of tech building and company building and the whole whole slew of things that have got me to the to this point. But originally it was all about solving the problem. That's pretty much where what led me to this point. Fantastic. And so in the process, you invented a device to capture the the carbon emissions, did you not? How does it work? So a Carbonex unit, it's about the size of two residential refrigeration units stacked back to back. Uh, We divert a portion of the flue gas off of a natural gas fired heating appliance into our system. Uh, And that system is comprised of three components. There's a reaction chamber, there's a heat exchange uh, system, and then there's a storage vessel to store the, the heat that we're generating. So first the Flue gas passes into reaction chamber where the CO2 component of the flue gas uh, interacts with um, potassium hydroxide. The potassium hydroxide loves CO2, it absorbs the CO2. 
Uh, it's also slightly exothermic in, in, in that reaction. So it's creating heat. Mm -hmm. We then take that waste heat from that appliance that we originally pulled that flue gas off of, combine it with the exothermic heat of the chemistry, and then we pull that through a heat exchanger. And then that heat is stored in a vessel. And then that energy is used to offset the energy demands for the building. And typically that's going to be domestic hot water. So instead of cold water coming in from uh, the municipality uh, and then going into your hot water heating system, we pre-warm that water so that that appliance doesn't have to work as hard. And then so, so we're offsetting carbon emissions through, through energy efficiency. And of course, the, 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 the prize of all of this, the, the primary focus is that direct capture. So when, when the hydroxide is finished reacting with the CO2, you're left with potassium carbonate, which has a, has a market value. And it's worth more than the chemical that you plugged into the unit. Um, so then we take that commodity. Originally, the business model was based on just selling that as a commodity. And we thought in our heads, well, you know, it's it's worth more, we should just be able to sell it and, and do wonderfully with that. However, because of the volume that we were producing and the untested nature of uh, what we were trying to accomplish, the adoption rate was pretty low and that was pretty problematic. So um, yeah, so we we shifted, we, we took some of the potassium carbonate that we had produced and we asked the question, what can we do with it? Well, there are industries that are making soap out of it. I'm thinking, okay, well, why don't we make some soap? So we did a couple of YouTube videos and asked a few people. And my wife and I made some some soap out in our kitchen. And uh, it was great soap. It, it was basic soap. It was what's called a Castile soap or an olive oil-based soap. Um, and we had uh, some demand for it. So then it went from uh, you know a couple of bars for, for market purposes to uh, selling bar soap to to the utilities to other interested organizations that thought this was a great idea and i just kind of pivoted we pivoted into the soap market so that's kind of how it i'm sorry i went off on a bit of a tangent Fantastic. yeah so we've now we're a we're a carbon capture soap company that is absolutely phenomenal and what a recipe of multiple wins to be honest you're reducing the uh, co2 emissions with a commodity, you're producing an even better commodity. You're saving on energy in the water heating aspect, if that's where you use use the heat. And yeah. then you've got soap on the on the other end. So, are there even any waste products in this process? Uh, no. When the 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 unit, the Carbonex unit, has uh, about a twenty year life cycle, and every component of that Carbonex unit is one hundred percent recyclable. So. Uh, so when it's done, it could be taken off and turned into other things when it's when it's done. So, uh, yeah, it's um, yeah, there aren't any really waste products from from our system at all. It's also about supporting the circular economy associated with it. Um, one of our customers is a large hotel chain in the U.S. And one of the things that we really want to try to help support is this idea that we can take this waste stream of gas from the activities of this hotel, this, this carbon component, and convert it into a product that the hotel uses large quantities of. Obviously, as you can imagine, they go through a lot of laundry detergent, they go through a lot of products to clean surfaces, the, the little bars of soap in your, in your hotel room, all of these things, they go through a tremendous, tremendous amount of. So 
you know, we can support this idea of a circular economy where we're taking an otherwise waste product that is vented into atmosphere and turn it into a commodity that can go back into that hotel. And not only on top of all of that, but it's also economically viable to do so. It's not a case of where, you know, um, this, this cleaning agent that they're using to clean their floors is now 10 times the price of what they've been paying because it's a green product. It's at, it's on par or in some cases less than the, the current uh, price that they're paying. One of the uh, car dealerships in town that we sell uh, car wash detergent to, uh, our detergent is actually 10% less than their current feedstock or their previous feedstock rather. So we're actually able to save them money and do some good on top of all of that. Oh, it, it makes tremendous sense. And, um, you know, having manufactured soap just as a sideline myself, um, it's probably a lot of fun as well, developing the various ways you can use this so-called byproduct in very useful commodities. Yeah, we have, uh, uh, we're very, very fortunate to have crossed paths with a lady by the name of Michelle Regal, who is now our director of uh, product development and innovation. And she's got about a decade's worth of experience in making soaps and and uh, so we brought her on. So she's she's making all sorts of really cool products. Uh, I, the joke here is that nobody at Clean Two has uh, has ever have to worry about running out of soap. I think we, we're probably drowning in soap samples in our house just because we always want to try something new that she's created. Oh, amazing! You and you probably want to make sure that it's it's good and nice and pleasant yeah. before you sell it to a customer. Yeah, yeah. So. we're the guinea pigs. Yeah, oh, test it on us before it's tested on our customers. Oh, that's pretty awesome. So it sounds like the scale of your operations is commercial. Is that accurate? Are most of your customers in buildings or some kind of facility, shall we call it? Yeah, yeah, that's that's predominantly our our main focus. We originally were focused on the single detached residential market, but the logistics associated with the collection process was a bit clunky. Uh, we still think that there's an opportunity there, um, but the mark the commercial market is so big that uh, we're just we're, we're considering it kind of a low hanging fruit. So we're we're just focused on that for the time being. Um, yeah, so like. Uh, hospitals, hotels, uh, rec centers, uh, high ri- commercial high rise, um, townhomes, that sort of that sort and, of scale. And what sort of geographic area have you expanded to so far? Uh, right now, we're Canada, uh, the US, and Japan, with plans to move into uh, New Zealand and Australia, possibly later this year. Fantastic. Well, it obviously uh, can be applied in any market, then it doesn't really matter. Do you find you have to do much R&D or changing things in the different markets? Constantly. Okay, (laughs) makes sense. Yeah, like there is a lot of, I I hate assumptions, but we find ourselves forced to make those assumptions. What, What makes it challenging is that a lot of those assumptions are wrong when working in an international market. So for mm-hmm. example, the assumption of a, of a boiler running in Japan versus a boiler running in Vancouver is that natural gas burns the same regardless of where it's located, right? The reality, yeah. however, is that they are different. The boilers, the appliances themselves are slightly different. Uh, so there are some some tweaks that have to be made to our technology to be able to make them work. And we're doing that. It's it's not a case of where we're running up against you know a wall and 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 finding ourselves in a position where we can't break into a market because our technology doesn't have the capacity. It's 
it's it's we're we're adapting on the fly and again um you know people like warren brook and and uh calvin jones and, and, and kathy and fisher and a number of other people are really helping us with fast tracking our innovation and, and making it uh work in in any part of the world well, that's very, very exciting. I must admit, your product is almost fairly visible in terms of the green uh, market and the circular economy. Do you find that there are times that you're actually speaking to grow awareness of the need to stop the carbon emissions, create this, the circular economy capture and prevent, which benefits the industry as a whole? Yeah. Um, the other competitors in this space are doing tremendous work. So, you know, carbon upcycling and Svante and carbon engineering are all doing amazing work in terms of volume. Um, but what we do helps in a way provide that tangible nature of showing what carbon capture can translate into in terms of tangible goods. Um, so it's, it's um, yeah, I, I think we're, we're helping the industry as a whole. And that's one thing I, I really love about this industry is that open air of collaboration. It's not a case of, uh, of us not being able to work with other people working in this space. We, we regularly engage with uh, all sorts of, uh, of different uh, um uh, leaders in in their in their own right for uh, for developing technologies in the carbon capture space, or and it's 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 wonderful. It's it's not it's I want to say it's like you know it's not like uh, you know uh, Apple versus Microsoft, you know mm -hmm. where it's you know they don't want to collaborate, although they eventually did. But um, you know there's not that sort of one upage that occurs in some industries. Yes. Like we're all trying to solve big problem and granted we are not going to hit immediately anyways we're not going to hit you know a thousand metric tons of uh, carbon offsets in a given year uh, where we're at currently we can right. get there we're not there today but what we can do is is help tell that story to engage the public to mm -hmm. excite the public about the potential of what carbon capture can can translate into yeah and i think that public relations aspect to educate and capture the interest of the public as a whole assists in a, a lot of ways because the individual can see where they can make tangible changes uh, fairly easily by, I don't know, going to a hotel that recycles their carbon capture or, or whatever yeah. it may be. But I must admit, I also have experience in so many situations where uh, cooperating with your competitors is actually mutually beneficial in in, in both profitability and growing the industry. Sure. So, sure. Absolutely. There's there's something to be said about collaboration. I'm a huge believer in it. My, my some of my you know my investors and my my colleagues think I share too much sometimes, but you know it's once again we're all trying to solve uh, a really important issue, aren't we? Right. This is a big issue. This isn't, uh, you know, trying to build a better mousetrap. This is trying to overcome a global issue. Uh, so we're going to get there a lot faster working as a village rather than as a, you know, as, a, as an individual. An individual. Yeah, no, so true. So, I mean, unquestionable, you must have had significant challenges along the way. 
Did you find, if you look back, that you have particular techniques or secrets for overcoming the hurdles or unlocking your growth? Uh, yeah, I, I think that the biggest thing I, that I've I've been able to learn is persistence. Um, as I'm sure you can imagine, having a um, plumber attend a carbon capture conference, uh, you know, you can just imagine the sort of comments. Was probably very different. Yeah. Yeah. What are you doing here? You know, the bathroom's that way. I'm sure there's something over there you can go and fix. Why are you here? Why? What do you have to do here? Oh, micro scale carbon capture. Oh, that will never be a thing. That's that's a silly thing. The, the in, energy and the energy infrastructure will change and you, you will be obsolete. And yeah, all sorts oh, of. It must have been fun. <laughs> And yeah. frustrating. Very frustrating. Very, very frustrating. Um, and then, of course, the clean tech bubble, you know, had, had a crash. Of course, mm -hmm. you know, investors really love to invest in software, uh, but not so much in hardware. So it's a it's a tough sell. And uh, yeah, but I had a lot of really good mentors along the way. I had, you know, I had a, I can't I can take credit for my persistence in not letting things go and keep pushing until I arrived at this point, but I couldn't have got here by myself. I can't stress that enough. It is so crucial to surround yourself with the right people. If you do not surround yourself with the right people, you will find yourself nowhere really quickly. Absolutely. I can see that. And in terms of obtaining investment, because you had to had to bring in, shall we call them smart minds, to try and build even from the ground level. Am I correct in assuming you had significant challenges even trying to raise investment and funding from the beginning? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, it's a completely different skill set um, to innovate. It's not just build the thing mm -hmm. and deploy it. It's build the thing and then build the business and then figure out how do you get people to see what you see and that was that was probably the biggest challenge is being able to fine tune your craft of storytelling to get people excited enough to want to invest in this idea and you know if 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 what you present isn't enough then you go back to the drawing board and you build something to show that what you're doing is correct. And then you present it again. And if it's still not enough, then you go back and you, and you redesign it a little, and you take it a little bit farther and you present it again and you just keep going back and forth. And the great thing about doing that is that you, you learn, you learn things about your industry that you're mm -hmm. trying to launch that you wouldn't have learned had had you not had to go through all of those challenges, you end up becoming very resilient uh, at the end of it. Yeah, it's not easy and it's not uh, for other innovators. I would, I would say, you know, be prepared for the long haul. It's not an overnight thing. And then yeah. I yeah, no, perseverance. You probably learned an awful lot of skills that you never dreamed of having when you became a plumber or when you left school even. Yeah. Yeah, they don't they don't teach you how to how to how to pitch to investors <laughs> in in, uh, in plumbing uh, plumbing school. 
How funny. Yeah. Thing, maybe you could make some recommendations and they could teach that in the program because I wouldn't be surprised if there are a lot more people who are educated through our local school set who actually are landing in these phenomenal spaces and where people are thinking you need to go to university to invent something or, or to create a success of your career. You have to be a professional engineer even more so, you probably know of quite a lot of people who went through your type of school who are doing fantastic things. Yeah, I think that's kind of the one of the um, key pieces of our uh, the, the story here in this province is the uh, the volume of qualified tradespeople that are not being included in some of these new strategies for new innovations to bring to market. We typically see a lot of effort coming from government agencies and other, you know, private think tanks that focus on what comes out of universities. Um, but the plumbers, the electricians, the, the, the framers, the, you know, the, all of the, the trades people out there have, the ability to do some pretty cool stuff. And I don't think they're given enough opportunity to present those things because the pathways to those organizations and those funding strategies are not as clear for tradespeople like myself as they are for an engineer coming out of mm -hmm. university. So uh, I, I think I think that is one thing that we we are not taking enough advantage of is that, you know, we're surrounded by innovators. Every time somebody oh, yeah. comes in to fix your electrical panel or fix your faucet or fix, build your house or, or any, uh, put in your HVAC system. They're, they're, these are innovative people who, who should be given the same opportunity that, that university people have for bringing products to market. No, I'm inclined to agree. I mean, realistically, no two projects are the same when these people come to install your whatever or fix your whatever. They are creative all the time. They have to come up with okay. better solutions that fit within the specifications. Yeah, but yeah. Um, more and more, I think we do need to encourage them because – People who are doing the job, who are closest to the action, are the best people to solve the problem. Yeah, I've never yet come across somebody sitting in an ivory tower in a head office who can solve a problem effectively on the job. But there are an awful lot of us sitting in ivory tower head offices that will try to solve that problem. So yeah, it's... they end up hiring the smart people to do the work because they are just—they don't have the skill set. And and I don't want to—I don't want to speak poorly of those people who sit in those ivory towers. Oh, there, no. there is a skill set to do those things as yes. well. It's not just sitting in front of a computer screen. It's strategy. It's uh, policy. It's uh, it's grant writing, it's all of those things uh, that are necessary. But there's the other side of it that I don't think, like, if, yeah. if a plumber can do this, yes. really. Yeah, so no, so true. And it's a team. The Our best, most successful companies are the ones that work very, very much as a team. They encourage diversity of thought, ability, experience, diversity. 
and they're the most successful. And, I mean, you've demonstrated it. You've brought in a wide variety of skill sets and cultural ability as you've moved to different countries in order to to succeed. So what do you think makes some successful in these endeavors where others really do seem to struggle? Have you noticed any particular characteristics? Yeah, it's still that comes back to that persistence. It comes back to, I say persistence, but I realize that that's not, uh, that that's not just a simple think of a uh, thing of, of where I'm trying to say that um, because you weren't persistent enough, you are a failure. Mm-hmm. That's, that's not, that's not the intent here. There are, no. there are times in, in, you know, over the last 15 years where, I mean, I've got a, I've got a wife, I've got a, I've got a kid, I've got a mortgage. Uh, I, I was fortunate enough to be able to, to hang on to both yes. barely. Yeah. Um, but there are other people who want to be persistent, but simply can't because um, they weren't able to find a way to make it work, and that's not to say that 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 should be that should be looked poorly upon. That's life. No, uh, no, that's life, and it's no black mark on the particular individual. Um, when use one example, they couldn't raise funding. They they tried a variety of ways. They rework the the the. T- test model or the story, and it's potentially not the right time. I mean, there are lots of technologies that are before their time, and it's really, really hard to get support. So those who decide to put that on the shelf and go and do something else, potentially coming back again or someone else does that thing later, it doesn't mean they're a failure. It means – it that is persistence as well in that it sowed a seed in someone else's mind potentially to to do that that thing at at some later stage Absolutely. have you noticed um what makes some hang on to something beyond its time because we've also we've noticed Every now and then you come across entrepreneurs who invent a whatever, a widget, a service, and they're struggling too long, and yet they continue persisting to try and make it work. How does one know the difference? I think um, there's there's two types of those those people. There's, there's the people who um, – should listen to the advice and that the idea is poorly thought out and mm-hmm. they haven't taken into consideration the input of others. I know a lot of people who are, you know, dragging themselves because they believe so passionately in what they're trying to do, but they don't want to take any, they, they refuse to take input from others to say, you're not entirely wrong, but the direction you're taking should be shifted. And they're just, they're laser focusing it. It's there's no input. Those those are the ones that are, are 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 very unfortunate because they're 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 missing a key element. Mm-hmm. The other side is is the people who believe in trying to solve a problem and allowing others to have input to direct them. And that's where I think I fell is is recognizing there's a problem, it needs a solution. I'm gonna head in a direction that I think is gonna work well. And along the way, I've had people that have said, you're right, it is a problem, but the direction you're taking is not going to work, and here's why. And you don't necessarily have to agree with them, but you have to listen, listen. to them. You have to take them seriously 
and alter course as necessary. If I hadn't done that, then we wouldn't be having this conversation. I'd be probably unemployed and Lord knows where frustrated, I'd be. Frustrated, right? quite honestly, yeah. very, very yeah. frustrated because you would have known that there is a problem that you would have felt you could have solved. Yes. And it just required, let's call it a minor tweak of listening to ideas of others. And as you say, potentially the mentors are the advantage in many of these areas as well, that there's just someone else willing to lend an ear, lend a hand, lend an idea at the yeah. right times. Yeah, I, uh, I went through, uh, I don't know if you're familiar, are you familiar with the uh, Creative Destructive Lab? Yes. Yeah, I went through that awesome. back in 2019, and that was, I was so skeptical of accelerators because I'd gone through a few, and they, none of them really panned out to 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 be very helpful. But and then I went through CDL, and it was just like somebody turned on a light switch because you had these really high net worth, high thinker, uh, high uh, mentally processing folks like uh, Derek Hunter and Martin Molino and Judy mm-hmm. Fairburn and. All of these really well accomplished people who were who took an interest in what I was doing and were saying, you know, here's the holes in your theory. Here's the holes in your plan. Here's how you, Fantastic. here's how you fix it. And that was uh, that was of tremendous value. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, was, uh, I would I couldn't I couldn't stress it enough. I think anybody who's considered going through and uh, with some form of innovation should go through CDL. It was altering life altering yeah really interesting as well that you mentioned that you felt they were so different to some of the other accelerators that you'd been involved with and Mm -hmm. uh, you know because i mean there are a lot of organizations trying to help innovation even right here in alberta there are there's a big push to innovate at the moment and and try and move our economy but there are people that can do it and people that can't and Potentially, people that can do it in certain industries and people that that are better in other industries. Mm-hmm. So, very Absolutely. interesting. So, are there any particular aspects that worry or excite you in terms of this whole big area that you're working in and our particular country and economy? Yeah, I mean, the polarized nature of the heating industry is is kind of peculiar and a bit concerning. Um, the notion that we can electrify everything, I think, is a, is a misstep. Uh, I think that there is a role to play for uh, for PV, for ground source heat pumps, for uh, for better efficient, more efficient appliances. But it, that that not one of them is a single point answer. And I, and I think that's. I've had a number of these conversations where it's very clear that it isn't about decarbonization. It's about electrification and only electrification. Like you've missed the, the point of recognizing that it's not, it's not going to work everywhere. The, the heating industry has never been a single point solution for any form of energy source. So why is it now suddenly going to be all about electrification? I, it just doesn't work. I've been in this industry for 20 years and I know all sorts of different technologies that are out there, and they will work in some places, but they won't work in all places. Right. I think there has to be an allotment for for multiple solutions. Um, I think that the biggest change is likely going to be in terms of uh, instead of natural gas, I think probably over the next few decades, you'll probably see a, 
uh, a significant uptick in in hydrogen as mm-hmm. a primary heat fuel, uh, being offset by by heat pump technology. I think those are the two sort of main uh, points. I think I for for energy, but hydrogen, I think, will likely be the. But it's concerning. I guess the concern I have is just this polarized nature around this conversation of of thinking that there is only one solution. I don't know if you've ever watched the movie uh, Highlander with Christopher Lambert. Yes, yes. It could be only one. Yeah, I feel like that's kind of what we're playing here. No, it's so So, and that's not, it shouldn't be that way. No, that's a great analogy. I must admit, I I, I do appreciate that one. Sean Connery in it, right? I mean, you know. I mean, there isn't one solution to anything in life ever. And we are such a large planet with so many different needs and interests that um, something that works in one use a geographic space may not work at all in another yeah. space due yeah, to their exactly. particular situations. Exactly. Yeah, so. very true. So awesome. So um, do you perhaps have any thoughts that you'd like to leave us with? Anything we perhaps haven't discussed yet? Let's see. Um, Well, I think it would be good for people to know that we are uh, expanding our line into retail opportunities. So the next time you're at your local Safeway or Sobeys or Canadian Tire, you may just find some carbon capture products on the shelf there. And we would appreciate the support and in a in a uh, in a uh, pandemic world, personal hygiene is obviously very important. So, what better way to do it than with something that's made of recycled carbon? Absolutely. Um, other than that, I I think it's just uh, it's to be re- remain hopeful. Um, we are an innovative species, and we can overcome tremendous problems challenges and um, just remain hopeful. I, I think the future is a, is a is going to be a bright and wonderful place and not a place of dire consequence, not as dire as everybody thinks. I think we'll... Yeah, we'll, you know, the, the doomsayers are, are pretty extreme. Yeah, fear is a horrible motivator. It's a horrible, horrible motivator. Yeah, no, we can't operate. We, we've got to operate with optimism. That, that's what drives the human species. We will get there. We will get better, and we can get better because at the end of the day, we have some amazing brains in our bodies, and if we just motivate them in the right direction and and don't rest on our laurels. I mean, we can't expect to stand still and do better or be better. Everybody's got to have that enthusiasm to get there and to to move forward in life. And yeah. I, I do understand we are naturally driven to improve. So, uh, yeah, we, we just need to harness our, our innate ability and, and make use of it. So thanks very much, Jason. I personally found some of your uh, soap in the Canadian Tire. So I can vouch for the fact that it really is pretty awesome. Uh, One last question. Who comes up with those fantastic um, varieties that you have, have invented for the retail market? That would be the wonderful and lovely Michelle Regal, who is our director of innovation, uh, product development and innovation. She is a godsend. We are very grateful to have her talent among uh, the Clino 2 crew. Pretty awesome. She has some very interesting names, and I do challenge all listeners 
to go and hunt them down, preferably locally and support Clino too, or otherwise at least go look on the website because they really do look awesome. So if listeners want to contact you, how do they reach out or where do they track you down, Jason? Well, uh, you can either reach me directly by email at jason at cleano2.ca. There's our general inbox, which is soap at cleano2.ca. There's our website, cleano2.ca, obviously. Yes. Uh, And of course, uh, uh, we used to allow uh, tours here, but with uh, with the pandemic, we don't. uh, We're not doing any tours at the moment. But I will say, the moment we're able to get past COVID, we will be offering public tours of our location so that we can dive into how the equipment operates and soap that we're producing and uh yeah just be able to to show show people uh what's behind the doors at clean02 absolutely very exciting that is something for us to look forward to and um i encourage everybody to try and do that you're going to have to do some demonstrations in other parts of the world as well because you're going to going to foster interest everywhere yeah, the demand is is certainly growing to uh, to a considerable high for us at the moment. So we're 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 very blessed and very uh, fortunate to be in this position. Absolutely fantastic, very very exciting. Thanks very much for joining us for a few minutes today to talk about it, so that we can learn a little more about this amazing technology you came up with and how you how you now using it as a circular product to. Um, to use the so-called byproducts in uh, further for further purposes. Yeah, thanks, Don. I appreciate uh, I appreciate being on your show. Have an awesome day. You too. The Unlocking Business Growth Podcast is sponsored by Protea Consulting Professional Corporation. We help our clients translate their operating and accounting data into the strategy for business growth they're truly capable of. Subscribe to the Unlocking Business Growth podcast on iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify to hear from other companies that have overcome growth challenges. Get a free copy of NOLA's latest book, The 5F Strategy, Bottom Line Growth in Any Economy, without additional sales and marketing. And download the Financial Growth Scorecard at proteaconsulting.ca. Work with us to achieve your business potential. To find out if we're a fit for your business, email info at proteaconsulting.ca and follow the Unlocking Business Growth Podcast on LinkedIn and Facebook.